Hello, and welcome to Coding Fix, a brand new show from the Fix family of podcasts. My name is Alex, and if you're not already familiar with Fix, then hi, we're happy to have you here. And to catch you up really quickly, Fix is something that was started by six of us, and we come from all over the world. And of course, I'm one of those six. And if you're curious, I'm from Canada. We started with the podcast Gaming Fix back in late 2017, and that's our ongoing primary weekly show, and it's all about video games. On top of games, we also like to dive into other things we're into, like anime, comics, movies, books, and whatever else comes up. And also, we make a lot of puns. Like, a lot. Arguably too many. (laughs) Um, If you do happen to be a regular listener to Gaming Fix, then... One thing you might notice is that there isn't nearly as much crosstalk in this episode. In fact, there's none. That's because for right now, you're getting a solo cast. It's just me. (laughs) Um, On Gaming Fix, on top of talking about the games we're playing, we also tend to dive into some very dev-focused topics. And on top of that, I've written a couple of articles for our site, which is fix.space, F-Y-X.space. And those all come from a developer's point of view. And this podcast is a natural extension of that. It's a new series that I've been wanting to do for a really long time, and it's all about coding. To give you a bit of a background on who I am and why I'm the host of a coding podcast, I've been a professional software developer for the past seven or eight years or so, and a hobbyist well before that. I grew up playing with Commodore 64s and dialing into BBSs, and spent a lot of my days and nights as a kid in the 90s making GeoCities pages with, you know flashing under construction GIFs and view counters and links to web rings and stuff like that. And of course, as the net grew, so did I, which meant graduating to making full PHP BB boards and, you know, making websites and apps for friends and stuff like that. Uh, For those who are into games, over the years, I've made about 20 of them. Um, Most of them are pretty small, and unfortunately, you can't really easily play a lot of them because they're part of an educational suite used by schools. Uh, They're used to teach young kids music, but I guess you could track down that suite if you really wanted to. (laughs) No matter the case, these days, I'm what's considered a senior dev, and I work for a relatively large company and spend the majority of my week tapping a keyboard and making code pop out. (laughs) Uh, My love for both education and coding is why I'm here recording this new show for you. Learning is great, so is coding, so it just feels like this is the right way to combine the two. So... While I have a lot of ideas for topics to talk about on this new series, I'd also love to hear your feedback. If there are any topics in particular you really want covered, or guests from the industries that you would like to hear from, or if there's just something that gets mentioned really briefly and you want to hear more about that, you know, anything like that, please feel free to send me a message. While I don't personally have social media, on Twitter you can send a message to at fixpodcasts, F-Y-X podcasts, And I'll get it there. Or you can send an email to gaming at fix.space, fyx.space. And I'm using the gaming address for now since I haven't created a coding-specific email yet. But hopefully we'll get there. With all of that out of the way, that brings us to this inaugural first episode. So what better way to get started with this new series than to talk about how to get started as a dev? We're going to be taking a really high-level look at what coding is. And by high level, I mean we won't be diving too deep into any of the details. It'll be more of an overview, but in the future, uh, we will definitely get deep into some of those details. Uh, 
Then, later this same episode, we'll be talking about some of the ways that you can get into coding. And our next episode is going to focus on recommendations for first languages, some of the first concepts you should learn, and what it's like to work day-to-day as a dev. So, let's kick things off by talking about what it means to code. Over the years, I have talked with a lot of folks about coding. And for those of them who have never tried it, they've often shared with me that they find the idea of getting into programming kind of intimidating. Like it seems that there's this really super steep learning curve that they're going to have to get over and it's going to take them a long time. And I think that's a very valid worry. Programming can seem daunting if you don't really know how it works. One of my more common responses to folks who mention this to me is, I ask them if they have ever used a clock, which might seem like a weird question to ask, but uh, stick with me. To a certain extent, if you have ever set an alarm to wake yourself up, you've kind of done some coding. You are giving your clock some instructions. When the clock reaches 7am, play a sound. In coding, this is known as a conditional statement, or what we might more casually call an if statement. If we satisfy some condition, then do something. If the time is 7 a.m., then ring a bell. And then a follow-up question I might ask them is if they've ever made breakfast. We can use the if statement here again. If we have bread in the cupboard, then make toast. But if we don't, then what? And that leads us to another kind of conditional, the if-else statement. If we satisfy some condition, then do the thing. But... If we don't, then do something else. If we have bread in the cupboard, make toast. Else, if we don't, pour yourself a bowl of cereal. So, if that kind of logic makes sense to you, then honestly, you can code. Ultimately, coding comes down to us as programmers giving our computers and devices instructions. And we just have to understand how a computer's quote-unquote brain works. While our brains work with things like alarm clocks and breakfast, a computer's brain instead works with numbers and data. We look for bread in a cupboard, and computers look to compare numbers and see, you know, if their value is less than 50. Uh, While we go and we set our alarms to go off at 7am, they send an email when someone presses a button. It's more or less the same concept, just a different context. Of course, these examples are all extremely reductive. There is a lot more to coding than just if-else statements, but it's at least a starting point for us. It's a way for us to make that scary learning curve look a little bit less intimidating. And bit by bit, we can start to chip away at some of the mystery surrounding coding. As we continue with the Coding Fix series, we will be taking a look at some fundamental concepts and knowledge, which will be important to your journey as a coder. This will include things like understanding what binary code actually is, hex code, data structures, algorithms, and so much more. They're all super important and will definitely be relevant to you as a new dev, but they're also a bit beyond the scope of where I want to go with this first episode. We will get there, but for now, let's focus more on what's actually involved with the mentality behind learning how to code. Now, in my opinion, coding is something worth learning for anyone, no matter their age. Kids, students, adults, retirees, anyone. It's a skill which lets you tackle problems from a variety of angles all at once. It's the ability to see a challenge and come up with five different solutions to solve it. 
So another example I like to give to people who might be looking for some context as to what writing code is like in practice, and this might sound counterintuitive, but I find it very similar to writing music. Now, <laughs> let's take a step back for a second with that thought. In case you don't happen to be too familiar with me or my past, on top of being a coder, I've also been a professional musician. Uh, I have two degrees in music, one of which is in music performance, and the other is a combined degree of music technology and computer science from Berkeley. So why is coding like music? Well, coding, maybe surprisingly to some, is super creative. Uh, like I mentioned before, it gives you the ability to look at a challenge and come up with multiple solutions for how to solve it. Writing music is much the same. If you're composing, you start with a blank page and you slowly start writing down your ideas. You experiment, you use the rules that you've learned, you break some of those rules once you're comfy with them, and in the end, after you've played around with it and you're happy with how it sounds, you have a piece of music. And it's basically the same thing in the coding world. You start with a blank page, but instead of a piece of music at the end, you end up with a program, or a web page, or a game, or anything you want to come up with, really. And learning how to professionally compose is actually pretty similar in terms of learning curves to learning how to professionally code. We learn both by slowly building our knowledge up over time. In music composition, this generally begins by learning a lot of theory and also in taking inspiration from other musicians. You'll start by learning simple, low-level things like note names and scales, which you eventually turn into learning chord-scale relationships and the circle of fists, which eventually leads you to having the ability to know when to use secondary dominant resolutions and tritone substitutions. In programming, it's pretty much the same thing. We started by learning our conditional if-else statements, and... That would naturally lead us to learning switch statements, and eventually, maybe, we could extrapolate that to knowing A-starred AI patterns and predictive analysis. So, all of these examples reach from simple to pretty complex, but the nice thing is that, honestly, we don't really need the complex, fancy stuff to write good music, nor do we need the really fancy stuff to write good programs. You don't need a PhD in composition to write good music. Kids playing in a band in their parents' garage every weekend can write good music. And the same thing goes for coding. You can write an amazing program with really simple code. It just takes some creativity. And the more you do it, you'll naturally start to learn some of the patterns which will help you save time later. But it's a cumulative thing. No one starts as an expert, and there's no shame in starting without knowing all the fanciest concepts right out of the gate. Like, you probably wouldn't be able to pick up a violin for the first time and sight-read Bach on your first day. Nor will you be writing neural net calculations the moment you start coding. And that's fine. There's no shame in being new, and there's nothing to fear. Something, um, <laughs> something I used to be really afraid of when I started to learn how to code was the idea of making mistakes. I would do everything in my power to avoid them. But let me tell you, you will make mistakes. A lot of them. All the time. <laughs> I say that because I still make tons of mistakes. But on a personal level, I feel like I learn far more from any of my mistakes and failures than I do from my successes. And that's true for both code and life. Also, one of the nice things about coding as a creative medium is that truly, if you can come up with an idea, you can probably make it happen. Of course, it does depend on how grandiose the idea is. It's 
possible that some things will be more complicated and take more time, but with enough practice, patience, effort, and dedication, you'll be able to make pretty much anything. On top of that, coding is an extremely inclusive medium. Because, frankly, a computer doesn't judge. It doesn't care if you're black, white, Asian, man, woman, non-binary, straight, not straight, or otherwise. All a computer cares about is the code, and that can be really validating. The teams I've worked with have always been extremely diverse. That goes for cultures, beliefs, gender, orientation, way more. But the coding community is great, and if you've never coded before, that's totally okay. We all have to start somewhere. We all learn in different ways, but... I think the universal truth is the, be- the best way to become a programmer or a musician or whatever else you want to put your mind to is to start doing it. So how can you start? I mean, honestly, you could pause this podcast and get started right now if you really wanted to. That's one of the nice things about living in the age of YouTube and all that is that we now have access to a ton of educational content where altruistic educators have uploaded them free of charge. Like, a lot of them do it purely for the sake of wanting to help people learn, and that's, that's honestly amazing. Of course, there's also fantastic paid courses from many creators, and the quality you get from them is also outstanding. But my point is more that the barrier to entry for getting started all on your own is extremely low. It basically comes down to how motivated you are. Oh, by, by the way, this is the first way you can get started in programming. Teaching yourself. I'll be talking about three different ways that you can get started, and each of them will come with their own sets of pros and cons, but hopefully this will be just a helpful overview for you. I'll be leaving some relevant links in the episode description, so if there's something I talk about which you'd like more info on, hopefully there should be a link waiting for you there. Uh, Also, if there's any of these methods you find interesting and would like a deeper dive like during a future episode or whatever, again feel free to send me a message. I'd be happy to talk about any of them with a lot more focus. Anyways, back to our first way of learning. Teaching yourself. The advantages here are actually pretty great. For one, it is easily the least costly out of any of the three ways we'll be talking about. You can teach yourself 100% for free the whole way. And sincerely, you can learn enough to get started in a professional coding job this way. It'll take time, but the nice thing is that you can take it at your own pace. If you only have an hour every couple of nights to learn, then, you know, you can set your own schedule and do it within the time that you have. You also have the opportunity to be super selective about what exactly you want to learn. If you know that you want to be a front-end developer, a front-end developer being uh, a developer for websites and stuff like that, they're the ones who work on the parts you see, like visual design, layouts, menus, etc., Anyways, if you want to be a front-end developer, then you can focus your studies on that. If you want to get into game development, you can focus on that. If you wanted to get into AI, uh, well, you can maybe do that, but that's a little bit tougher. And the reason this can be tough is because of our first con of self-teaching. If you're going off of YouTube or other free resources, you're generally not going to get too much feedback on your progress. You might be able to ask questions in the comment sections, and it's possible that the creator of the content or maybe another commenter will get back to you, but it's also not a guarantee. And feedback can be extremely important to learning. Like, to go back to our music metaphor, 
when you're getting started, you'll probably want to start with some kind of teacher. That way, you'll know if you're holding the bow upside down, or maybe that a saxophone probably shouldn't be played underwater. But as we get started, there are things we might not even realize we're doing wrong. And having someone to guide us and check in on our progress can be extremely important. And there are ways around this, of course, especially when you're teaching yourself. Um, Some online courses that you can pay for will have community sections with mutual mentorship. Or on sites like Udemy, courses will have what they call teacher's aides. And they're willing to help students out. But it is very much a year mileage may vary type scenario here. Uh, The second con for teaching yourself is maintaining motivation. It can be really hard to stay enthused sometimes if you start running into walls. Like sometimes you'll run into a problem that you don't know how to solve and you think, I'll take a break and come back to that tomorrow. But if you're the one setting the schedule, there's nothing really stopping tomorrow from becoming the next day or the next week or never. Or, for example, if you have a full-time job and you're looking to learn to code with some of your free time, a particularly tough day at work might leave you just feeling exhausted, and you might push the coding stuff off to another day instead. And that can just kind of pile up. And there's nothing wrong with that, of course. You should do what's best for your mental health, but it does also mean that your steam might eventually run out. And honestly, I've absolutely been there, and it can be super tough to jump back into it after a long enough time away. But again, self-teaching can be fairly amazing. Some of the best coders I've worked with have been self-taught coders. And as someone who has hired other developers, my number one piece of advice, if you choose to approach your coding adventure this way, or honestly, frankly, anyway, is to make things. One of the reasons that we as hiring managers look at a degree or degrees that an applicant might have when we get your resume is because it's a super quick point of reference as to your ability to dedicate to something and to finish it. Uh, In a lot of cases, we don't actually really care what your degree is in. Like some of my coworkers in the past have had degrees in political science or law, uh, biology, chemistry, so forth. No computer science at all. And frankly, some of my coworkers didn't have any kind of degree, like they just graduated high school. And the truth is, that's fine. What we look at instead is the portfolio. We look at the things that people have made because that's ultimately what matters the most. We want to see that you can code. We look at the code itself and see how it reads. We take the time to really understand if you know how to make things. And we basically just want to see that you know how to code. We will pretty much always pick someone who has made lots of things over someone who might have some fancy computer science degree from some really nice school, but has no portfolio. Or worse, a bad portfolio. And I can say from experience in in, uh, interviewing people, that's definitely happened. All of this is to say that self-teaching is a very, very valid way to become a professional programmer and one which I can very easily recommend if you feel it's something you are capable of. It's not the easiest, and it will take time, but remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You can do it. Just The biggest issue I've seen with folks who approach learning this way is that they are more prone to encountering what's known as imposter syndrome. And honestly, 
imposter syndrome is a very deep topic and one we can probably spend a whole episode on. And maybe we will. But for now, let's move on to the next way that you can get into coding. So this next way is what's known as a coding bootcamp. If you're not familiar with coding bootcamps, they are essentially full-time courses that you sign up for and they last anywhere from 12 to 24 weeks. They aim to give you a really rigorous education in a relatively short amount of time. They're super practical, very hands-on, and generally they're really great, honestly. A lot of them will start you right from the very basics, like assuming you've never typed a line of code in your life, and by the end, They'll help you develop a portfolio, and they'll help you set expectations for what would be involved in a coding interview, and they'll also give you lots of advice and resources for how to continue learning after the bootcamp. And one other huge advantage that they have is that a lot of them will help you get set up with interviews, usually with some of their partner companies, so it's not unheard of to actually expect a job at the end of one of them. Though, make sure to read the description of whatever bootcamp you're interested in, uh, to ensure that they offer this. Not all of them do, but some of them do, and that's really cool. Bootcamps themselves can either be local, in person, or online. Though, uh, <laughs> more frequently they're online in 2020 for obvious reasons. But the advantage you get here over self-directed teaching is direct access to a teacher. They will be able to give you assignments and feedback on those assignments. You'll be able to choose a project of your own, and they'll be able to give you guidance. There's office hours, so you can always ask any question you want without having to wait for a response, which, you know, may or may not come in a YouTube comment section. Also, if the teacher happens to be busy and you can't ask them something, you'll have a class full of other people who are all working on the same thing you are. So you can get a hold of one of them and work on things together, which also helps you build a network of new developers that you can connect with in the future. It's great. Also, coding boot camps themselves can be super directed. So if you're mainly interested in becoming a web dev, take a web dev bootcamp. If you want to be in games, take a game dev bootcamp and so forth. They are a really positive trend, and I think they're a super compelling option for a lot of people. But with all of that positivity being said, here's the con. And for some people, it's a pretty big one. They can be really expensive. Like these boot camps can be anywhere from ten to twenty-five thousand dollars, and that is not cheap. It can be a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people, but some of them can and will offer scholarships, and some will actually do this thing where they defer their tuition until you actually get a job offer as a developer. But still, it is a lot of money and potentially a lot of time. Like as mentioned, these boot camps can be. 12 to 24 weeks, which is, you know, upwards of six months, and they're full-time courses. You are expected to be there from 9 a.m. until 5 p.m., you know, along with homework and projects. They're called boot camps for a reason. And for a lot of people, this might mean having to leave their current job with the hopes that at the end of this boot camp, they're going to be on the other side of it with a brand new, different one. And that's a legitimately scary risk for a lot of people. But Ultimately, it comes back to each individual person and their situation. Like, for some people, those risks might be worth it. For example, if someone is stuck in a job they really, really despise and they want to get out of it anyways, then saving up for a coding boot camp can provide them an amazing opportunity. 
getting a lot of experience really fast with a class of peers and being able to hyper-focus on their area of interest, all while building up a strong portfolio, you know, that can be absolutely worth it for a lot of people. However, if someone does really want to go down this path and maybe a bit more formally and doesn't mind going a little bit slower, then that leaves us with our last option, the traditional university degree. There are a lot of reasons why someone might want to pursue a computer science degree, especially for folks who are directly out of high school and are intending to attend university anyways. If coding is something they want to do as a career, then it's a pretty easy recommendation to point them in that direction. However, there's also a lot of folks I know who are in their 30s and 40s and want to go back to school for a new degree. Maybe doing so part-time, maybe taking a year or two off of work to dedicate themselves to it, maybe doing it online. No matter the case, a university degree is a big choice for anyone. Now, in my opinion, there's one huge advantage of a full computer science degree that it has over both self-teaching and boot camps. And quite frankly, that is mathematical rigor. You will need to take courses in calculus and linear algebra. And depending on what you're interested in, maybe also graph or number theory. Boot camps don't really do this. And honestly, I don't think I've ever met a self-taught programmer who has ever felt the desire or drive to teach themselves linear algebra. And I don't blame them. But honestly, I'm glad I went through those things, even though I don't actually use much of it in my day-to-day life as a developer. Just knowing that that base of knowledge is there if it's ever needed and knowing that I have the ability to work through those difficult problems is kind of reassuring. The other advantage which comes to mind is actually pretty similar to boot camps. For one, you are likely going to build a pretty strong portfolio over your years of study. Like in my last term of university, I had an entire class dedicated to portfolio projects. One of my projects took an entire term to finish, which was an entire game built from the ground up for VR. And being able to do that with feedback the whole way was extremely helpful. And an especially great advantage was getting my friends to play it at the end. Especially great because it was a horror game in VR. You know, that meant there was a lot of screaming and swearing. Anyways, there's also a lot of potential for future opportunities. And that's because of internships and co-ops being built into a lot of comp sci programs. You might have the ability to spend an entire term working at a company and getting real-world experience. And though the word internship is kind of stigmatized for some people and it's generally seen as, oh, you know, get coffee for the people you're interning for, I can say from experience that we try to allow our students to actually write production code. I've been a mentor for many co-op students and I love seeing them grow. And I can also attest to a lot of my coworkers feeling the same. On top of that, we've also hired a fair amount of our co-ops after they've graduated from their programs. And I know that to be true in other workplaces as well. So internships are not to be undervalued. They're huge. But of course, there's going to be cons to doing the degree. One of them should be pretty obvious since we already mentioned it. It's easily the longest of the bunch. A four-year degree is not a small time investment. And also depending where you are in the world and what school you want to go to, it can also be a pretty big monetary investment. But that's also just kind of true of university in general. And it's the kind of cost-to-value ratio that you'll need to evaluate for yourself 
based on, you know, if you want to study locally, internationally, online, etc. And there's one last con, and this one kind of varies a lot by the specific university and program that you take, and that's the fact that you might not actually do a lot of coding. So remember when I mentioned that we've had some computer science graduates apply to our jobs with either no portfolios or even bad ones? I can't exactly explain why, but it seems that some programs don't really get you to code anything for real. Like, instead, it seems like they mostly go into theory. Or if they do get you to code, their standards might just be kind of low and they just breeze past things without giving a lot of critique or taking a nuanced look at the output. Or maybe the students are just taking too many courses and don't have the time in any individual class to make a really strong portfolio. Honestly, I don't really know the reason, but I do know that I've heard a decent amount of people complain about how their computer science degree ended without them doing like any programming, and this is definitely something to look out for. If you are considering a degree as your primary option, make sure to research the school you're interested in as well as the individual program you're looking at attending. Uh, maybe reach out to some graduates to see how they feel about it and just do your research. You don't want to waste four years. It's a long time. Regardless, whichever path you may choose, there we have it. Three very valid ways to get started as a programmer, each with their own sets of advantages and disadvantages. So to summarize that again, with enough drive, you can absolutely teach yourself and get enough knowledge to start working at a professional level. But if you need a bit of encouragement and looking to dive in deeper, there is a boot camp. And if you're in for a longer commitment, then a university degree is a super valid way to go. And this brings us to the end of the first episode of Coding Fix. Uh, I intend to do at least one or two more of these solo casts with the intent of helping you get started with your journey. But also, after that, I have a few guests lined up for some discussions about topics which are important in the programming world, but also in life. We'll be talking about things like work-life balance, imposter syndrome, uh, as well as what it's like to work across cultural borders. Like, for example, if you're in Southeast Asia and working remotely with a team that's primarily in North America or Europe, stuff like that. No matter the case, if you have comments, questions, feedback, things you like, and especially things you don't, then please feel free to message me anytime on Twitter at FixPodcasts, F-Y-X Podcasts, or send an email to gaming at fix.space, at least for now. Hopefully we'll get a coding address up soon. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for listening. It's super appreciated. And I hope that this may have been even just a little bit helpful. But no matter the case, have a great day and talk with you again soon.